Hey everyone, this is Tim Harris. I'm the pastor of Woodburn Baptist Church and this is our weekly podcast. Hope it encourages you. Hope it makes you want to be closer to Jesus and more like him. Hope you enjoy this sermon. And if you want to know more about us, find us online at woodburnbaptist.org. Good morning, everybody. Everybody good? It's a pretty morning. It's a nice day. It's cold, a little bit too cold for me, but there's no wind, so I'm not complaining today. It's nice. It's sunny. It's beautiful. I love seeing the kids uh, on stage. I love hearing them sing. Uh, thank you, parents, for making that happen. I know, I know how much work goes into that, uh, so God bless all of you. Open your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke. I want to speak this morning a, a Christmas sermon of sorts. But in many ways, I'm going to speak to men today. I'm going to speak to the men, to the fathers in the house especially, primarily because of an Old Testament prophecy that has everything to do with Christmas that we find at the very end of the book of Malachi. Malachi chapter 4, the very last words of the Old Testament, which is interesting as well, says this, Look, I'm sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. His preaching will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. I think it's just really interesting when the Bible gives this prophecy of the coming Messiah and the way that he will make everything wrong with the world that right, you know, once and for all, come to redeem and save creation, that when you speak of that promise, one of the things that's highlighted is the brokenness of men. As if to say that, and we're not saying that the only thing wrong with the world is men. I'm not saying that at all. But I am saying that the Bible seems to recognize there is a peculiar brokenness, a peculiar need for the redemption of the hearts and souls of men, fathers and sons. And I have to say, I I see the truth of that. In our world today, you just start with politics. There are so many broken men in positions of leadership, and often their brokenness is what creates brokenness everywhere else around them. In our community, the brokenness of men, the number of children who grow up in houses where there is not a single man, I mean, not a father, not a stepfather, mom doesn't have a boyfriend, there's no man whatsoever present in a large number of children's lives. It's just devastating. Where are the men? And even in our church, uh, there's just so many, I guess one of the best guys in the whole world, but also some very broken men, and, and often the ways in which our church struggle is a draw a straight line back to the ways in which our men struggle. It's uh, peculiar. Men are complicated. Can I just say that? And we tend to make things complicated, and uh, Scripture recognizes that. And so the Gospel of Luke begins the Christmas story with a story about a man, uh, a father, a man who becomes a father. And a son who becomes great, but we're not talking about Joseph and Jesus here. We're talking about another father. His name is Zechariah, Luke chapter 1. It's a great story. It's a great story. Um, I'm a father. Um, My son is Wade. He'll be here next week for Christmas. I can't wait to see him. His wife is Marty. Uh, Being Wade's father to this day is still one of the greatest joys of my life. I just... Love that kid, that young man. Um, I was probably the first real person to hold him. I'm not discounting the fact that my wife carried him for nine months, you know, and then delivered a nine pound, you know, something boy. Um, But when he emerged, the doctor put him into my hands. And uh, as I stood there looking at this howling, 
quivering lump of slime and purple and white cheese. Um, he smelled like the earth. Do you know what I'm talking about? He smelled like the earth. And as I watched that uh, nine-pound lump go from gray to pink, I said, you know, Wade, his name is Wade. That's the name that Casey and I had chosen if it was a boy, and now we knew. And so I was seeing his Wade. I said his name over and over, Wade. Um, I'll never get over that moment. As, as astonishing as it was, though, it's still more, for me, um, absolutely astonishing that long before they put that boy in my hands, the Lord's hand was upon that boy. And long before I called him by name, the Lord knew his name and called him by name and called him into this life and into his work. Um, I know that my son has some purpose in the kingdom of God, just as your children have a purpose in the kingdom of God. And somehow in all of God's providence and purpose, he gave that boy to me to raise. Which means uh, if his life has eternal significance, my vocation as a father has eternal significance. And, and honestly, in some ways, that, that still terrifies me. Um, Andy Stanley uh, says it this way. I, I, I love this, and, and I believe this with all my heart. Your greatest contribution to the kingdom of God may not be something you do, but someone you raise. You ever read the Bible and you get lost in those big long list of so-and-so begat so-and-so and so-and-so. It's this long list of genealogy. So-and-so begat so-and-so and then they begat so-and-so. Just long list of begats. And, and, and I just want you to realize that most of the names are in the Bible are in those lists. I mean, just name after name after name in those long, long lists, which means most people who have their name in the Bible, their greatest contribution to the kingdom of God was not something they did, but somebody they begat. Somebody that they would raise, and if it's true for them, it's true for you. The greatest thing you'll do may not be what you do, but uh, somebody you raise. Which brings us to the story of Zechariah. I love this story so much. It's great. Um, Luke chapter 1, starting verse 5. I'm just going to read a story. I'm going to hop around a little bit. I'll try to uh, guide you to just follow me and, and pay attention to this great story. Old man Zechariah is about to have his life changed in a beautiful way. Luke chapter 1, verse 5. When Herod was king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. He was a member of the priestly order of Abijah, and his wife Elizabeth was also from the priestly line of Aaron. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all of the Lord's commandments and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and they were both very old. One day, Zechariah was serving God in the temple for his order was on duty that week. As was the custom of the priest, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. While the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying. While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him, but the angel said, Don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife Elizabeth will give you a son, and you are to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or drink other alcoholic drinks. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. 
And he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. And he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. Zechariah said to the angel, how can this be? I'm an old man now, and my wife is also well along in years. Puts it politely. Then the angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this good news. But now, since you didn't believe what I said, you'll be silent, unable to speak until the child is born. For my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah to come out of the sanctuary, wondering what was making him take so long. When he finally did come out, he couldn't speak to them. Then they realized from his gestures and his silence that he must have seen a vision in the sanctuary. When Zechariah's week of service in the temple was over, he returned home. Soon afterward, his wife Elizabeth became, became pregnant and went into seclusion for five months. God bless her. How kind the Lord is, she exclaimed. He has taken away my disgrace of having no children. Verse 57. When it was time for Elizabeth's baby to be born, she gave birth to a son. And when her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had been very merciful to her, everyone rejoiced with her. When the baby was eight days old, they all came for the circumcision ceremony. They wanted to name him Zachariah after his father. But Elizabeth said, no, his name is John. What? They exclaimed, there's no one in all your family by that name. So they used gestures to ask the baby's father what he wanted to name him. He motioned for a writing tablet. To everyone's surprise, Zachariah wrote, his name is John. Instantly, Zachariah could speak again, and he began praising God. Awe fell upon the whole neighborhood, and the news of what had happened spread throughout the Judean hills. Everyone who heard about it reflected on these events and asked, what will this child turn out to be? For the hand of the Lord was surely upon him in a special way. You know, what follows is Zechariah's prophecy. Zechariah begins to praise God, filled with the Holy Spirit, just begins to speak words over this boy, words of blessing that take us to uh, verse 76. He says, and you, my little son, will be called the prophet of the Most High because you will prepare the way for the Lord. You will tell his people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins. Because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide us to the path of peace. John grew up, became strong in spirit, and he lived in the wilderness until he began his public ministry to Israel. So what we have here is a man who becomes a father, but, but, but before that, we have a man who is having the grandest day of his life. Don't miss that. Zechariah is a priest, an old priest. In that day, there were probably something like 24,000 priests in Palestine, 24,000? So he's just one among many. Uh, of the 24,000, they were divided then into 24 separate regiments, divisions, whatever you want to call them. And then those 24 divisions, they would alternate serving weeks, single weeks at a time in the temple. So they may only serve in an entire year, possibly two weeks. And then it would be very rare if you were even chosen to serve. So Zechariah isn't just allowed to serve in, in this particular week, but he gets to offer the incense, now, this is the priestly duty that every priest lives for. It's rare, 
which means many priests would live their entire life and never be allowed to do this. They would draw lots to see who would be allowed to do it. And the lot fell to Zechariah. So Zechariah is having a once in a lifetime opportunity. Once a priest offers the incense, he can never do it again. Once in a lifetime. This is Zechariah the priest living his dream. The grandest day of his life, he is offering incense as a priest of Israel in the temple of the Lord. Now, the scripture tells us two things about Zechariah and Elizabeth, his wife. First off, they're righteous people. Zechariah and Elizabeth, they are just salt of the earth kind of people. Make no mistake, that's important. And the scripture stresses their integrity before God, their spiritual integrity. These are good people. The world is full of fakes and phonies, but Zechariah and Elizabeth, they're the real deal. They love the Lord. They follow the Lord. Zechariah and Elizabeth, they're good people. Now, that is stressed because of the other thing you have to know about Zachariah and Elizabeth. They've never had children. Never had children. If any of you have ever gone through childlessness, infertility, then I I, I know where you have been. I, I know that struggle. I know about that. It's terrible. But in the ancient world, it was in some ways worse because they understood so much less about where babies come from, and and they assumed, as is in some ways true, that God himself opens and closes the womb, and that children are a gift from God, and we know that they are, but the only assumption would be, if God hasn't given you children, then for whatever reason, God is withholding children from you, God is withholding this blessing, you must have somehow offended God. Something about you that makes God not want to smile upon your life and shower you with children. So for that reason, a childless couple would often live their lives in a kind of shame, a spiritual shadow over their heads. Everybody wondering, everybody talking, you know, they never had children. When Elizabeth finally has a son, what does she say? God has removed my shame, my disgrace, you know. So you need to know those things up front. They never had children, but they were righteous. It's not because God was somehow punishing them or God was somehow withholding blessings from them. You would be poorly mistaken if you reached that conclusion. They are good people, righteous people. They pleased the Lord, but they had no children. Now they're old. And Zechariah, the priest, is having the grandest day of his life. He's offering incense in the temple in this private, amazing moment. And all of a sudden, the angel Gabriel is standing right there. The angel Gabriel appears. It's the same angel that's going to appear to the Virgin Mary in about 16 verses. Same angel. But before he goes to Mary, he makes this stop with the old man Zechariah. And what does he say? It's amazing. What does the angel Gabriel say? The angel says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. God has heard your prayer. What prayer? What prayer? See, Zechariah is a priest in the grandest moment of his life, which means he's got official duties here. And he is indeed bringing prayers before the Lord. That's what the incense represents. The incense rises in smoke up to God, and it's a symbol. It's a picture of the prayers of the people rising, and Zechariah is in that moment of bringing the prayers of the people. He's a priest, and all the people are outside gathered in worship, and they are praying, and uh, Zechariah steps into the presence of God as their priest. He's bringing their prayers to God. And he has a prayer that he's supposed to pray. The liturgy's written out. He's praying a prayer for the redemption of Israel, for the salvation of Israel. So if 
there's a prayer being prayed in that moment. It's, it's, it's got to be that. But that doesn't seem to be what Gabriel's talking about. Don't be afraid. God has heard your prayer. Your wife Elizabeth will give you a son, and you're to name him John. Now, one thing you need to understand about prayer is simply this. One thing you need to understand about slides. Here we go. God answers the person more than the prayer. God answers the person more than the prayer. So Zechariah, in the presence of God, may indeed have been offering the prayers of the people. But understand, God answers the person. And God knows the deeper wound in Zechariah's heart. God knows the deeper longing. God knows what Zechariah and Elizabeth have been praying years ago. Years ago. Understand, when it comes to prayer, there is no expiration. When it comes to your prayers and God's purposes, there's no expiration date. There's not like so much time can go by that you can just now assume that God's not answering your prayers. God answers prayer. God always answers prayer. It may not be in your time. It may not be in your way. It may be in a way you never imagined. But you don't pray a prayer that just falls back to the ground. That's not how prayer works. Don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has answered your prayer. This could be a prayer that Zechariah and Elizabeth prayed years ago. Most of you who know our story, you know that Casey and I really wanted more children after Wade was born. Wade's... Wade was our first pregnancy. Uh, he was nine pounds, textbook pregnancy. And after that, we were never able to have more children. We, we could conceive, but we could never bring a child. And so just miscarriage after miscarriage. We had eight miscarriages in a row. It was really terrible, really terrible. And so for years, we, we prayed this prayer. For years, we believed and, and, and wanted this miracle that just never came for us. Just never did. And I'll just be really honest with you, at some point we just sort of moved on. Not out of lack of faith, just sort of, we had life to live, we had a son to raise, and uh, biology. I mean, you know, having children is kind of for young people. I mean, if I could just say that. And I'm 57 now, y'all, I'm 57. Casey's 58. Don't tell her I told you, 58. But not to, and and again, I'll say this church, y'all were so wonderful for us. You walked through that with us. You were with us. God bless you. You carried that burden with us. I love you. I will love you forever for the way you have loved us. But but then, like, just like a couple of years ago, like one of the church, like one of y'all came up to me and said, Pastor Tim, I just want to let you know, I am still praying that the Lord will give y'all a baby. (laughs) I'm like, don't. Don't, no, no, no. Like that's the last thing Casey needs now. I mean, you know, like she can have a hot flash in the middle of the night now that'll burn the house down, you know. No, no, and I don't want to be like that guy that takes his kid to the fall festival and everybody thinks, is that your grandpa? Like I don't want to be that, that guy. I don't want to be kicking a soccer ball with my kid and not, you know, throw my hip out. You know, I, I just, you know, there's just a point in which you just assume that, you know, okay, this is what life is, and, and you accept that, and you just go on. And I'm pretty sure that that's where Zachariah and Elizabeth were. They had prayed for that years ago. They had wanted that years ago, but that was years ago, you know? There ain't no fertility clinics to go to. There ain't no Viagra. I mean, ain't nothing. They got nothing. They have moved on. I, I promise you they moved on. So when Gabriel says, God has heard your prayer, 
Elizabeth's going to have a child. What do you think he's going to say? And what's Zachariah supposed to say? He says what everybody else would say. How? How can this be? Have you seen my wife? I mean, that's what he says. Have you seen my wife? (laughs) I'm reading the Bible to y'all. He says, I'm an old man, and have you seen my wife? I mean, yeah. He just asked a question we all want to know. I mean, I think I know where babies come from, but I don't know where this baby's going to come from. I mean, you know, like, how? can this be? And then the angel Gabriel says, yeah, okay, I'm the angel Gabriel, and I stand before God who sent me to bring you this message, and uh, you know, since you uh, don't believe, um, you're going to be silent nine months, not a word. You're not going to be able to speak another word until you hear the doctor say it's a boy. Is that punishment? You think the angel's punishing? You think God's punishing Zachariah for not believing? Because I'm telling you, I'm on his side. I wouldn't believe it either. It's a punishment. You know, I don't think so for the simple reason that, as I said, 16 verses down, same angel's going to stand before the Virgin Mary. He's going to give her an impossible announcement too. You're going to have a baby. The Virgin Mary, you're going to have a baby. And what does Mary say? How can this be? It's the same question. She asked the same question because it's the same question. How? God has just said he's about to to do something impossible. And whenever you're confronted with the impossible, you're always just going to say, how? I think Zachariah's being punished here. What I think is God always gives you what's necessary for growing your faith. It's not punishing Zechariah. God's growing faith in Zechariah. So for the next nine months, every time Zechariah opens his mouth and no words come out, that's going to be a reminder, a reminder of the promise of God, a reminder of what the angel said, a reminder of what God is doing. Every time he opens his mouth and no words come out, he's going to know that God is doing something brand new in his life. He's going to carry this message in silence for nine months just the way Elizabeth's going to carry that baby in her belly for nine months. That's why I called the sermon Pregnant Silence. He's going to carry this secret is silence for nine months, and, and, and he does. He does. And then the baby's born. It's amazing, just amazing. The baby's born, and the whole neighborhood comes out. It's kind of like when we do gender reveals now, like you invite everybody, you put on Facebook, and, and you, you know, announce that it's a boy, it's a girl, you know, something blows up pink, you know, something blows up blue, you know. It's kind of like that, only back then they'd have no idea, so they did it eight days later. And so they would have the circumcision for a boy, um, but at any rate, it's the naming ceremony. Everybody comes for the naming. They're going to announce the baby's name, and the friends, the family, all the neighbors would come. It's a big deal. It's a celebration. It's like a baby shower. But in this case, like, they all break out into a fight over what the baby's name's going to be. Now, we know the baby already, baby came with a name. Gabriel said, you're going to have a son. You're going to name him John going to name him John, so we know that. Elizabeth knows that. Somehow in nine months, Zachariah was able to sign that, you know, to Elizabeth. His name's going to be John. So Elizabeth knows, but all the fool neighbors that they're arguing with Elizabeth, like they're saying, you can't name him. You're not going to name him John. Like, I'm just thinking, do they have a say? I mean, do the neighbors get to name the, I mean, that's not how 
naming babies works, you know? You don't get to argue with the mama. Elizabeth says, no, his name is John. They say, you can't name him John. You don't have any Johns in your family? You know? And that strikes me as weird. And then I remember that I think, I think my family would do that. Like when we told my mother we were naming our son Wade, she said, you can't name him Wade. You know, so like I say, you, you don't get to argue. It's not how naming babies works. The parents name the babies. So finally somebody says, ask the father, ask Zachariah. I think it's funny. It says that they gesture to him. You know how people are kind of dumb? So like he can't speak, but they must think he's deaf too. It's like, what? You want to name the baby? You know, you know what I mean? It's like he can hear you, but, but they're still dumb, you know? What are you going to name the baby? So, so Zachariah gets out his iPhone and he texts out the words in all caps because old men always text in all caps. He writes out, his name is John. And then his tongue is loosened. His mouth opens. He begins to praise God. I mean, he begins to speak. And it's the most amazing thing ever. He, the words that come out of his mouth are a blessing for his son. It's a blessing for his boy. And it's the most astonishing thing I've ever read in my whole life. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel. He's visited and redeemed his people. I mean, I, I guess Zechariah has had a long time to think about the, what he wants to say. Maybe he's a priest and just particularly good with words. I don't know, but just when I get to verse 76, and he says, you, my little son, will be called the prophet of the Most High. You will prepare the way for the Lord. You'll tell his people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins. Where does that come from? I'm asking because I'm a father, and, and I want to do this. I want to do this for my son. I, I want to be able to bless him. Where does this come from? You, my little son, will be called prophet of the most high because you will prepare the way for the Lord. You'll tell his people how to find salvation. Just words, just beautiful words. Most of us men, we're just not good with words. We're not. I talk for a living. Y'all know that. Y'all have heard more of my words. God help all of you. I'm sorry. I'll give you a break one day. Um, I talk all the time, but when I needed to say something important to my son, the words were just never, I never had the words. I really wanted to say something of what I could see in him or dream a dream for his life. I never, never managed to have words in those moments. And I wanted to. A lot of my problem is when I really wanted to say something from my heart, it's just the water goes to my eyes and I just, I, I cry. And I don't want to, I don't want to get in front of my son and just cry. Just never had words. And he's 28. I don't know that I ever did this for him. Our children need it. They need it. I had the Bible, of course. I, mean, I read the Bible. The kid was a pastor's kid. I read, I, I read the Bible to that kid, poor kid. I read the Bible to him. He got God's word. I'm not making light of that. Um, guns and Roses. I sang Guns and Roses to him. Uh, those words. Not a joke, really. I sing Guns N' Roses to him. I would hold him when he was little. 
and I'd sing. Uh, He's got a smile that it seems to me reminds me of childhood memory. Everything was as fresh as a bright blue sky. Now and then when I see his face, takes me away to that special place. And if I stare too long, probably break down and cry. Oh, 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 sweet child of mine. Oh, 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 sweet child of mine. It's Guns N' Roses. <laughs> That's the best I had was Guns N' Roses. Man, you know what I'm talking about? Kids need words from us, and we don't often have words. Your daughter needs to hear something out of your mouth, you know, more than just, you're not leaving this house dressed like that. I mean, you know, you've managed to say things like that. I had a 32-year-old man in my office. He said, Pastor Tim, I need help. I said, how can I help you? He said, I need, I need help. Being a father, I need help being a husband. I said, what is it that makes it so hard for you? He said, I'm 32. I'm 32. And when my father was 32, he left us. He left my mom, he left our family, he left me. The boy said, I don't know what to do now, I'm 32. You see the father's map for his son? Ended at 32. Whatever that father managed to do for his son, he didn't show him how to stay. See, that's the thing about men. So many of us, we are so tempted to leave. Just leave. We leave out of fear. We leave out of failure. We leave out of just this restlessness in us, but we leave, and we don't know how to stay. And So we leave, and... When we leave, we leave a mess, just leave a mess for our children, for our wives. We leave messes everywhere. I'm telling you, the world is just a mess because of men, broken men, wounded men. We've done this. Zechariah manages words. Amazing words, you, my little son, will be called the prophet of the Most High. Where does that come from? And somebody's going to say, well, Pastor Tim, probably Zachariah had a daddy who did that for him. Because that's what you, you want to blame your dad, right? So, Pastor Tim, you know, I, my, my daddy didn't do that for me. I never had no kind of daddy, so I don't, I don't, you know, I don't know where I'm supposed to get it. So we, there's a cycle. I, I'm with you. I understand how that works. Most of us don't get this from our fathers because all of our fathers were human and it wasn't in them. It just wasn't in them. We always wanted words, but they didn't have the words we needed. And so we've grown up without the words and now we got children who need words from us and we still don't have words. And we don't know how to stay. We don't know how to keep our promises. We just don't. And we can always blame our own fathers and grandfathers. My grandfather lived inside this blue cloud of cigarette smoke and profanity and racism. And I love that man so much. I was so drawn to him. 
This is the way it happens. It's just the cycle. It just goes from one broken man to one broken man. And, and so if you're thinking that, well, Zechariah must have got this from his father, I would argue with you. I don't think it comes from his father at all because that's not what the word says. The word says, then his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and gave this prophecy. This didn't come from Zechariah's father or grandfather. This didn't come because Zechariah was just a man who was good with words. This didn't come because Zechariah was a priest. This came from the Holy Spirit. You understand, I may have been the first person to hold Wade Crawford Harris, but I recognize it is not in my hands to bless him. It's not in these hands to bless him. And I wish I had words. I wish I could speak a word of promise and prophecy over him. I wish I could put a crown on his head that he would spend the rest of his life learning to wear well. But those words aren't in me. None of this is in me. It comes from the Holy Spirit. So when Zechariah says, my little son, you're going to be called the prophet of the Most High. You'll prepare the way for the Lord. You're going to tell his people how to find salvation. Understand, that comes from the Holy Spirit. It's from the Holy Spirit. So listen to me, sir. What you have to do is ask the Holy Spirit for vision. It's vision. Zechariah is able to hold this eight-day-old boy and see something of his life. A life of eternal significance. He doesn't just see a boy that's going to sit in a deer stand with him or a boy that can become the athlete that he never was. No, he looks at this baby boy and he sees something amazing. He sees something of the coming kingdom of God in his son. And he speaks those words over him and lays a crown on his head. And it's the most glorious thing. Ask the Holy Spirit for vision. Over your own children, your daughters, your sons, you need eyes to see the eternal significance of your child's life. That only comes from the Spirit. Your daddy couldn't give this to you. Your mama can't give it to you. This comes from the Holy Spirit. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's the Holy Spirit. I read this passage when I was a young father. I read that Zechariah was filled with the Spirit. I read that the promise was that the baby was going to be filled with the Spirit from birth, which I still don't understand. I just know that if there's any hope for me as a dad and any hope for Wade as a son, it's going to be from the Holy Spirit. I never had a lot of words when I wanted words, but I've had a blessing from my son that I've said from, from the very first day. So simply this, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, be the breath in his lungs and the life in his body. That's it. That's all I got. Holy Spirit, be the breath in his lungs and the life in his body. I want the Holy Spirit to fill that young man. I want the Holy Spirit to inhabit every cell in his body. I want every breath to be the Holy Spirit. I want my son to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I want all of God's purposes for his life to be fulfilled because of the Holy Spirit. Do you see that? Do you understand that? The amazing thing about Zechariah, what makes him such an extraordinary example as a father is that he doesn't just stand back and wonder what the boy will do with his life. He's able to see what God will do with the boy's life. And this is what I mean by vision. What's God doing with that girl, that, those daughters you have? Why did God make her? What's God put in her? Those sons that you love so much. 
their lives have eternal significance. The greatest contribution you may make to the kingdom of God may have nothing to do with what you do. It may come down to somebody you raise. I guess I was the first real person to ever hold my son. He was born, doctor put him in my hands, nine pound lump. I watched it turn from gray to pink. I said his name is Wade. It's Wade. It's still astonishing to me to realize that long before he was placed in my hands, God laid his hand upon him. And only God's hand can bless him. Long before I, I said his name, God called him by name. Dreamed a dream for his life. And I want what God wants for him so much more than I want what I want for him. All of God's purpose is for his life to be fulfilled. Understand, that's vision. Your children's lives have eternal significance. And that means your vocation as a father has eternal significance. Just ask Zachariah. Pray with me.